Let's take our Bibles and uh, put a marker in Joshua chapter number 6. We'll probably go a little bit into chapter 5. Joshua chapter 6. And then we will uh, get to Hebrews 11. We'll actually start in Hebrews 11. Joshua 6. Hebrews 11. I considered kind of jumping out of Hebrews 11 this morning and teaching on lessons of faith from the resurrection. And there's so many things we could talk about on that. But I figured I would uh, be walking all over pastor's outline in the first service and in the next service. So I decided to leave that alone. Amen. And uh, I found when, when you're a preacher in the midst of a bunch of services, like preaching in a conference, I always want to be the first guy. Because you don't mess with anybody else's sermons. Then you can blame them for messing with yours afterwards. And uh, it works out well that way. All right, Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Um, the, the Bible tells us here, of course, uh, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, we've been talking about lessons of faith, how we walk in faith. Romans 1, verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We've been looking at a lot of different individuals. We started, of course, with Abel, uh, went to Enoch, uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, uh, these all that were mentioned. Um, we talked about the old country. We looked at Abraham again, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, the parents of Moses, and for four weeks, we looked at Moses, and then last week we began looking at the children of Israel and how that they, they, they learned lessons of faith when they went through the Red Sea. And uh, we saw that they had, uh, they had had enough faith to leave Egypt. Aren't you glad you had enough faith to get saved? Aren't you glad you didn't have to know all the doctrines of the Bible to get saved? Uh, as I mentioned, I think last week I have a message uh, or a study, I don't think I've ever preached all of it, you know, 50 or 38 things that happened when you got saved, all the different doctrines and things that God did, and, uh, you know, the justification and the sanctification and all those different things. You know, wonderful thing. We didn't have to know any of that to get saved, just merely by faith, trusting Jesus as our Savior. I'm glad salvation is that simple. Amen. Amen. It's not easy because it was not easy for Jesus. That's what this week's all about. Uh, but it was, it's simple for us. Uh, so they had enough faith to leave Egypt. We talked about last week, God led them in a specific way. Uh, he didn't take them from, from Egypt directly to Kadesh Barnea. He on purpose went around a detour and took them around the way of the Philistines because they were not ready for that enemy yet. Aren't you glad God takes you in a way where you avoid some things you're not ready for? You know, we were, we, as our family, we joke a lot about the ministry and, and, and all the crazy stuff that's happened. We've had people tell us, you guys need to write a book. I said, number one, no one would believe it. <laughs> number two, I'm not sure that the statute of limitations has run out on some of that stuff. You know, <laughs> there's still people alive that could, but anyway. Um, but the real reason we don't want to write the book is we don't want to scare people from the ministry. Like, if I surrender to God, that's going to happen? Yeah, probably. No, I'm not going to do that. Aren't you glad God doesn't tell you all that stuff? When we get to heaven, I think we're going to be shocked when we find out when God, we thought, detoured us. He got us around some things we would not have survived spiritually. What a good God we have. 
children of Israel griped about it, but they did not realize that was the good hand of God upon them. Uh, we saw they faced difficulties. They were afraid uh, in the middle of all of that. And, and uh, I've, I've made the comment often, and Pastor read this morning in the early service in John 20, uh, where he comes to the disciples and said, Be not afraid. Peace be unto you. Why did Jesus say that? The disciples were always afraid. Anybody here ever dealt with that? We all have, amen? And, and so they were not afraid. Uh, and, and in the middle of that, we saw two great things. They trusted God to make a way. When they got to the Red Sea, there was no answer but God. And that's always the right answer. And God parted the water and they walked through. And then the last point we talked about last week, I didn't really spend enough time on it. But he led them in a particular way, but that way became the way mark. We looked through the scriptures. I think there was 10 different times that we looked at last week where God kept bringing to Israel's remembrance, remember the Red Sea and what I did there. Their step of faith at the Red Sea became the thing that changed everything about their life and their walk with God. And I challenged you, is there a place in your life that you can look back to, a way mark where a step of faith Changed everything. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about how you walk with God on a daily basis and how your family serves God. These, these steps of faith ought to be so significant in our lives that everyone who knows us should know some of those. As a family, I, I've often joked about uh, that my kids can give my testimony. My daughter's laughing. I don't have her stand up and give it. Uh, I was preaching one time in a church, and I started into my testimony. And the girls were, I think, teenagers at the time. And, and, uh, and there was, what, like two years ago, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was giving my testimony, and I saw the girls laughing. And I, they, were, they were mouthing what I was saying. When you're an evangelist kid, you've heard all of Dad's sermons. I mean, they used to take, they had a bedding pool. All right, they'd see where dad's finger was in the Bible. Oh, he's going to preach on this tonight. You know, just they would try to figure it out. And uh, so I'd mess with them. I'd put my finger over here because I'm going to preach over there just to mess with them. And uh, I was giving my testimony one night. In the middle of it, I just stopped and looked to my other daughter, Becky. I said, Becky, stand up and finish my testimony. She did. And it was almost word for word. Well, she writes my sermons anyway, so but it was no problem. But... You know, your kids ought to be able to tell the stories, those way marks in your Christian life. When, you, when, when it's time for you to go to heaven and your family has a funeral service for you, they ought not be wondering, I wonder if dad's in heaven. They ought to be able to stand up and testify. Let me tell you what happened in dad's life, what God did for him and for us. Amen. That's what the Red Sea was to Israel. Everybody knew. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Look now in Hebrews 11. Uh, we'll go over to verse, uh, let's see, we'll start verse 28, just because of the week that we're in. Uh, Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So notice it's still talking about Moses. He kept the Passover. Isn't that interesting? He, by faith, had to lead the people to do that. But then notice verse number 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Now their faith had to go from being a passive faith to an active faith. They had to step forward for God. That's what the Red Sea was all about. And so as a nation, they began to move forward. They passed through the Red Sea as by the dry land. 
which the Egyptians assigned to do, were drowned. What a great thing. I mean, they never faced that enemy again. Now we get to verse number 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. What a great story. Uh, that's in Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to refer to a little bit about it. But I'm not going to teach on the lessons of faith from Jericho this week. We'll do that the next lesson. And I almost skipped this lesson because it just kind of fits in between the two. And, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized I need to talk about it because there's, there's a lot going on. We've got to set the stage. Before you can understand Jericho, you need to, to have in your mindset what Israel's gone through before you get to, to Joshua 6. And God knocking down the walls. And uh, in Joshua chapter 3, the children of Israel cross over the, the, the Jordan River. God parted the river the same way he parted the Red Sea. And he often compares the two. And uh, in Joshua chapter number 4, uh, God had commanded Joshua, uh, get some stones, 12 stones, out of the middle of the, uh, of the, the bed of the river after I pulled the water back. And you're going to make a monument on the other shore about what I did here. The part we often miss is they built another monument in the middle of the river. So anybody swimming in the river would find out what God did there. It's neat how God does that. And uh, I was talking to somebody this week. It's like, do you think we ought to, you know, is, is it wrong to, to commemorate, you know, uh, um, holidays and that kind of thing? Like God does it all the time. I wish I had time to go through all of that, but he commemorates the Passover. That was a holy day. That's where we get the name holiday. And uh, he, he had this, 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 uh, this um, altar built or this, this monument of stones. And what was it for? That when you're in the generations to come, when the, the sons and the daughters will ask their parents, what mean these stones? Yeah. And you could tell them the story. As parents, we ought to be ready for that. We ought to be ready when our kids ask us, you know, Papa, why do you carry a New Testament in tracks? There's a reason for it. We talked about it Wednesday night, amen? Uh, we ought to have these, these monuments of, of what God has done in our life. Let's go back to Joshua now. Keep your marker in Hebrews because we will come back there. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 4. I want you to notice this one. Joshua 4. And... Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Couldn't you imagine being the guy that had to take over leadership after Moses stepped off the scene? You know, as a pastor, when you come to pastor a church and there has been a pastor before you, you're always compared to him. Well, brother, so-and-so didn't do it that way. You look at me, I'm not him. Yeah, it's just crazy, you know. Um, but can you imagine being Joshua? Well, Moses came down off the mountain with tables of stone. What's in your hand? You know, I mean, can you hear it? He came down with a veil over his face because he was with God for 40 days and glowing. And, I mean, you know, he was constantly compared to that. So God, on that day, 
He magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him. The new leader was in place. God saw that Joshua, I'm sorry, Israel saw that Joshua had the same blessing of God that Moses had. And, and by the way, we're going to find out in our lesson, it shows us it wasn't Moses. And it's not Joshua. It's the I am. It's God. And uh, we, we looked at that when Moses was called of God in Exodus uh, to go to, to deliver the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 3. And he said, he asked God, who am I? God never answered that question. He told Moses who God was. Tell him, I am sent you. Because Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. Aren't you glad God can use anyone as long as he gets the glory. Israel saw that Joshua had the same blessing of God that Moses had. They then followed Joshua in the way that they followed Moses. Look at verse 23 of Joshua 4. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that ye may fear the Lord your God forever. We see that because the, the people of Israel had obeyed and they were praising God for all that he had done, we, we find in chapter 5, look at it, that the world takes note of them. Joshua 5, verse 1, it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we, we were passed over, that their hearts melted, and there was spirit, there, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. God put a fear in the hearts of the enemy because the children of Israel had obeyed God, and God had worked on their behalf as he had before. Um, this would help Israel avoid certain battles but they didn't know we're waiting on them. You see there in Joshua chapter number 5 in verse number 3. Well, we're starting in verse number 2. And you get down to verse number 15 where they're describing that it was time for the children of Israel to go back to this custom God had given to Abraham to circumcise the males. And they hadn't done it for the 40 years in, in the wilderness. They hadn't done it uh, for all those years. And now... Uh, they hadn't done it in Egypt. And now God said, it's time to do that again. Well, what was that? That was a mark of separation for the children of Israel. It's what made them different. And we see in, um, let's see, verse number 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people uh, that were men of war, uh, which came out of, uh, of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he, he would not show them the land which the Lord swore uh, unto their fathers that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey, and their children whom he raised up in their stead. Them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. So that, that 40 years, by the way, can you imagine being in Israel during the 40 years of wilderness wandering? God, because at Kadesh Barnea, the 10 spies said, we cannot go over. And the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, we are well able. And the, 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 the country followed the 10 instead of the two that were following God. God said, okay, an entire generation has to die. Everyone above 20 years of age. Can you imagine being the last guy from that age group? You know, your great-grandpa, you know. You know when he dies, you get to go to the promised land. 
Somebody better be checking his food every meal. <laughs> hey, Billy, come take a taste of this. Let me see if that works. You know? Just, can you imagine? Why? Because God was judging their sin, their lack of obedience. But the circumcision was a type of separation. It showed that they were different from the world. Look at verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Therefore, uh, wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. The word Gilgal means rolling. God rolled away or removed that reproach that had been on them. That's what separation does. It shows that we're no longer associated with the world, but that we're now separated unto Christ. Let me read a couple of verses for you from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 18, and be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part had he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God had said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, in these verses, it's not teaching that when you get separated from the world, meaning you live differently, you get rid of the world's dress, you get rid of the world's attitudes and music and, and, and lifestyles, that that's when you get saved. That's not what that's teaching. See, when it says here, I will be a father unto you, no, he, he's not saying that's when you become a child of God. What he's saying is that's when I get to treat you like my child. I get to spoil you. Uh, God wanted to give the children of Israel the promised land, a land that flowed with milk and honey. But because of disobedience for 40 years, they wandered in a wilderness where God had to feed them every day with manna and water from a rock. And then they griped about that, and we want meat, so he gave them quail till the fill, the Bible says. They had more meat than they knew what to do with. What a, what a beautiful picture of the tender mercies of God. You're going to gripe and complain about me. You won't obey me. You don't get to go to the promised land, but I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of your clothes. They'll never wear out. Your shoes won't be so small you can't wear them. I'm going to take care of you while I'm judging you. What a good God. Your kids, they, don't, they disobey you. They don't do what you tell them to do. That's not the day you're taking to Dairy Queen, but you're still going to give them supper. She's glad God's a good father. But here the children of Israel, they, they finally did the separation. God said, okay, I'm removing the reproach. When you and I as believers look like, act like, and sound like the world, there's a reproach on us. And the biggest problem is not that we're like the world. It's that we're not like our God. It's interesting, in the book of Psalms, this would be a good verse for you to mark in your Bible. Psalm 4 and verse 3. Go, keep your place in Joshua, but look at this one. Uh, this one of those verses I think you ought to underline. Hard to do that on an iPhone, isn't it? Psalm 4 and verse number 3. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call on him. The separation is not you and me just being different from the world. We're separated from the world, but we're separated unto Christ. That's the big thing. 
Not that we're not like the world, but that we're like him. And God says, I separate them that are godly for myself. God said, I want you to be near me. I want you to be like me. That's what separation is all about. It's not enough to be separate from the world. Monks do that. The monks in Tibet on top of a mountain do that. That's not Bible separation. Bible separation is being separated from the world unto Christ so that people see Jesus in us. That's what it's all about. Then in Joshua, back in Joshua 5, we're just laying some groundwork and I'm going to give you a few thoughts. Joshua 5 verse 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover and unlimited cakes and parched corn the, the selfsame day. They kept the Passover. They're, 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 they're obeying God and following his instructions. By the way, that's what the whole wilderness wandering was about. Where God says, I'm testing you to see if you would obey me or not. Sometimes the testing that's in your life, that's what it's all about. God's seeing, will you obey me? The nation of Israel had the blessings of God waiting for them. And God said, okay, I've got to test you. Because the first time at Kadesh Barnea, you would not obey and you would not trust me. Remember what they were afraid of? Well, the people in that land, there's giants in the land. And we're like... Grasshoppers in our sight, they said. They were afraid of the people. And over and over again, God said, because of the Red Sea, they're afraid of you. They were looking at the wrong thing. God had done something so big in their life that all the world knew God's hands on those people. Don't mess with them. And they didn't realize that because of their doubt, their lack of faith. For 40 years in the wilderness, they learned to follow God. Isn't it interesting how God did that? They had to follow a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and they could only go as fast as the cloud went. They didn't know what was on the other side of it. They didn't know where it was going. It was just day by day, step by step. And that is so much like the Christian life. That Passover that they experienced, it, that they, did, they, they kept every year, it was a reminder of how God delivered them. But I want you to look now in Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 12. This one uh, is, is one of the main reasons why I didn't want to jump to the next lesson. So we're laying some groundwork. Joshua 5 and verse number 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is when things get interesting for Israel. When Israel was in the wilderness for those 40 years, God provided miraculously for them every day. They were constantly traveling and moving. They had no land on which to plant a crop. They couldn't stay in a place long enough to see a harvest. So for 40 years, they had to depend upon God for daily bread. But now they finally had obeyed. And crossed over the, the Jordan River. And the manna ceased. For 40 years it was just enough. It helped them survive. But when they got to the promised land. God changed everything. 
The promised land is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of, of the surrendered Christian life. The Red Sea was the picture of salvation. You crossed over. You never go back over that again. You never face that enemy again. He was drowned in the sea. Pharaoh and his whole army. Praise God for that. You and I never have to worry about standing before God being judged in our soul for our sin. That happened at Calvary. Hallelujah. That's what Colossians is all about. That all the handwriting of the ordinances was against us. And he nailed it to his cross. He paid the price in full. I like to word it this way. That all those Old Testament sacrifices was a check that was being written. How many of you have a checkbook? In this generation, most people don't. How many white checks? I can't remember the last time I wrote one. We use those cards. But what is a check? It's a worthless piece of paper. You know what it is? It's a promise. That in a bank... There's some money that will cover that debt. You know what the Old Testament sacrifices were? They were a check saying one day the Lamb of God is going to come. And he's going to pay the price in full. You know what happened on Calvary? Jesus cashed the check. That's what happened. The debt's been paid. That's why we don't have to have a Passover service every year. We don't have to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel anymore. Why? Because that happened at Calvary. Amen. We see that that feast or that daily bread that they had every day, uh, God was going to change that. They crossed over the Jordan River. And they're about to face their first city. Uh, it says that the man has ceased on the morrow. What's the, the spiritual lesson here? The lesson of faith is this. God was not going to work with them the way he had done it in the past. God was now going to work differently. The reason the promised land is not a picture of heaven. Because there's battling in the promised land. They had to go to war. They didn't fight in the wilderness. They had to fight here. They had to have an army. We don't have to fight in heaven. Hallelujah for that. But as a Christian soldier, day by day, we're in a spiritual battle. God was not going to work the way he had before. He was going to provide for them, but not with men out of heaven. He's going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to provide, but in a different way. We must realize as believers, God sometimes will work differently in different seasons of our life. Just because God did something a certain way in the past does not mean he'll work that way now. And that doesn't mean he's mad at us. God was not angry with Israel, so he stopped the manna. No. He, he was going to give them more than just enough for every day. He was going to give them a land that had so much they couldn't even eat it all. They were going to abound in blessings, but it was going to be different. And by the way, that's the way God is. The children of Israel, they had a problem. They liked to gripe. I don't know if you would ever do that. You would never complain. You would never, never gripe about what God's done or is doing in your life. Uh, I, I get encouraged, preach, when I read Psalms and David said, my complaint came before the Lord. I said, yeah, I'm in good company. <laughs> Dear God, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Yeah, I've been listening in on your prayers too. But anyway. But where would you rather be if you were children of Israel? In Egypt as a slave, making brick, having to have your sons drowned in the river? In the wilderness, wandering around, having just enough to get by today, 
setting up the tabernacle, taking it back down, setting it up, taking it down, following the cloud, waiting for the old generation to die off, or in the promised land, enjoying the bounty of God's blessing. Think about this, preacher. They got to move into cities they didn't build. They moved right into houses. They didn't have houses. They lived in tents for 40 years. They just moved into a house. And, and, and they, they, they got to harvest crops that they didn't plant. They were in a land that flowed with milk and honey. I mean, remember, this is the place where one cluster of grapes took two men to carry it. And I've often thought about that. Was it just a lot of grapes or were they big? You know, in my mind, I remember the first time I really thought through this, like, those grapes must have been the size of volleyballs, you know. Yes. I don't know. But they had more than enough. You'd be a fool to want to go back to the wilderness. You'd have to be out of your mind to want to go back to being a slave in Egypt. Then why are we as children of God constantly looking back? Wanting to go back there. We talked about that in the lessons from the old country. If we're constantly mindful of the old country, we'll want to go back. We'll remember the good things about what it was like before we served God. But we forget about God's chasing. Isn't it amazing how our memories leak out stuff? We only remember the good things. How did children of Israel forget being slaves? Being beaten? How did they forget that, that they... Uh, uh, they held back the, the, the straw from their bricks. How did they forget that they had to kill the firstborn or their boys? How did they forget that? Because that's what sin does. It clouds our memory and clouds our judgment. Let me give you some application on that. Faith Baptist Church has seen the blessings of God and the care of God. But as a church, those of you that have been here a while, you'll know there have been times you have faced uncertain future. You've faced some difficulties. It happens in churches, amen? Just like it happens in your family. But this church also knows what it's like to have God miraculously supply our needs. Amen. Uh, the church's finances are doing well. Don't stop giving when I say that. <laughs> amen. <laughs> but I was an evangelist at Mount Salem Revival Grounds in West Virginia. You'd come back to church. It was a small church, and half the members were evangelists, you know. And the church was three and a half miles up in the hollow uh, in West Virginia. And, and literally half the members were in the ministry. And um, you'd come back, and you'd, you know, you'd give a testimony on, on you know, Sunday night. Man, it was a great meeting this last week. We had a bunch of people saved. And, man, I had the best love offering I've ever had. The pastor, but the judge said it to ushers, give this man an offering envelope. Really? But we know what it's like to have the blessing of God. It's a joy to see people saved and baptized and added to the church. That's what it's supposed to be. It's a blessing when we have the annual, the weekly, the monthly report, and missions giving is many percentage points ahead. Amen. Amen. I've been in enough places and pastored enough places where it wasn't always that way. You've heard pastor talk about our church would love to have the school and the church on the same property. He says that now. Wait till the, you got those junior high kids near his office. <laughs> says that now. 
He didn't work in his office anyway. He's out getting Starbucks somewhere. Anyway. What are you saying? There's going to come a day the man is going to cease. God's going to say, okay, I blessed you in a certain way. But now I'm going to do something different. I thought about this, Pastor, as I was praying about this lesson. As a church, I believe God has some different things ahead for us. We've talked about another property. Do you understand that's going to be a big adjustment if, if God opens that door? We've seen God work a certain way. It got real quiet all of a sudden. Preacher, did you notice that? It got real quiet. It's, that's when you, you know, you're preaching a sermon, you're going this way, then you make the sharp right turn and it gets real personal and everybody gets real quiet. You know what it'll mean? It'll mean extra sacrifice. If it's giving now, it's going well, but we take that step, it's going to take more. For 40 years, the children of Israel just watched and joined the blessings of God raining down every morning. But when they got to the promised land, they had to pick up a sword. They had to pick up plows. That didn't work. Um, God would have to open the doors we talked about Wednesday night. Um, well, as you get a new building, it's, it's not going to be ready to move into. No matter what building we get or if God has us build one. Uh, God relocates the church maybe to a different neighborhood. You have to knock on new doors. You'll have to establish some new things again. Um, we'll have to sacrifice not just money, but time for the ministry to move forward. I, I was thinking about this one uh, this week. Imagine moving to school. When that happens, I'm going to schedule a meeting somewhere <laughs> in the other part of the country. It means, as the promised land meant, they were going to have to till the ground. They've got to prepare an area for planting. It means they're going to have to fight some battles. Can I tell you what happens in a church? Not everybody's for what the leader says. <laughs> how often did Moses deal with that? And how often did Joshua deal with that? The more I read about Moses, the more I realize how God gave him an incredible meek spirit. Because I would have been, you know, in Exodus 32, when the people are building an idol... And his brother's helping him do it. You know, he begs God, give me my brother to help me. I think he refought that request in Exodus 32. He's up on the mountain getting the tables of stone. Joshua's up the mountain with him. And, and Aaron's down in the valley getting the people to build an idol that reminded them of Egypt. And they're worshiping it. And God tells Moses in Exodus 32... You know, get thee down from the mountains. The people that you brought out of, out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And, and God said, I'm going to destroy them. And if it had been me preacher, I'd have said, go for it. Yeah. What did Moses do? Moses reminded God, I didn't bring them out of, the, out of Egypt. You did with a mighty hand. And if you destroy them, remember the promise you made to them. And what will the world say about the promise you made? He reminded God of his promises. He said things in Exodus 32 to God. I don't think I'd say. You know what that tells us? Moses knew God. He knew God's people. And he stood between the living and the dead. He literally kept God from destroying them. God changed his mind after Moses got done with his prayer. What a great leader. It meant that to go forward 
it was going to have to be more than just a daily, casually walking along. Take your Bibles, go to Exit uh, to Numbers, chapter thirty-two. Numbers thirty-two. This is towards the end of that 40-year journey. And it says in verse number 11, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. This is when God says, I'm not letting them in. They're going to die in the wilderness. But look at verse 12. I'm glad this verse is in the Bible. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. What does that mean? These two men, they were committed to God no matter what anybody else did. And they were the only two men that were above 20 that got to go to the promised land. About 20, the day of that judgment. Even Moses didn't get to go in. He saw the land, but he had rebelled and he'd gotten mad and struck the rock the second time, picturing Christ. And Christ is that rock that the New Testament tells us. Joshua and Caleb got to go to the promised land. Joshua, uh, he became the new leader. Caleb got his mountain. We sing that song, I want that mountain. Because he said, I, I want this mountain. When we come in, and you find when they got in the promised land, God gave him his mountain, and he took it, and he conquered it. Why? Those were steps of faith. They had to have faith to be committed. They had to have faith to follow God when he led differently. In our next lesson, we talk about when they get to Jericho, everything's different now. God's going to use them and work in them in a way totally different than what he had done in Egypt and what he had done in the wilderness. As a church, we must be looking constantly towards our God, following him, even if he does things differently than we're used to. Now, those of you that know me know that I, I like things structured. I don't like it to be changed from my structure. And what one generation does in moderation, the next does in excess. I have a little grandson. He's five. He's in kindergarten. And he often corrects his teacher because she does something differently on one day than she did the day before. He does. He'll hold up his head, but that's not how we do it. Son, you're not the leader. <laughs> but at five, he thinks he is. I don't know where he gets that. It must be from his mother, who got it from her mother, something. I don't know. But that's the way we are. You know, sometimes God says, okay, I've done it that way in the past, but I'm God. I'm going to do something different now. The key to the children of Israel, when you go back there to, to Hebrews 11, you see them keeping the Passover. You see them then passing through the Red Sea. And in the next lesson, we'll be looking there, verse number 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. You don't just go for being a slave in Egypt or even wandering in a wilderness to conquering a city. God's got to make adjustments to you while he's getting that thing ready for you where he's about to send you. I don't know what God has in the future for our church as far as a building. 
But I promise you this, God's been working on it. One of the most comforting things to me in the scriptures is John chapter 14. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm going to come and get you and take you there. But think about that. He created the world in six days. He's been in heaven in his Father's house preparing a place for us now for 2,000 years. Can you imagine what that looks like? What a good God we have. We need to learn to just walk by faith even when God says, I'm going to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the children of Israel. Thank you for these lessons of faith that we can look at and learn from and then apply to our lives this week. Help us to live a life of faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.